Hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the only English language podcast entirely dedicated to South America's grandest competition, the Copa Libertadores. And it is over for the entire year. And in this podcast, we were reflected back on a final, a very dramatic final between Flamengo and River Plate, where two late goals gave Flamengo their First Libertadores title since 1981. It was uh, dramatic. And, well, I think it's fair to say I was on the pod as ever this week, of course, by Mr. Oliver Wilson, who uh, is at the moment, he's just back in the UK when we were recording this. Ollie, I know you've had a very, very long day, mate, working, covering the beautiful game around Europe. And I was also covering the, the Libertadores final uh, last night. And, and there was a bit of a, a celebration for me afterwards, actually. And so we we're both pretty tired, but... The energy of the Libertadores, I think, uh, made this a pretty decent pod, mate. There's there's a lot to get into in this. We've got the past, we've got the present, and there's a bit on the future as well. Um, I, I just want to apologise quickly to every River Plate fan after I posted on Twitter a message saying it must be really difficult for Pinola to run so fast having Gabby Goal in his pocket for all this time. And not 20 seconds after that, Gabby Gold got the first one for Flamengo. And I really am sorry to all River Plate fans for putting that out and pretty much cursing and letting the final five minutes take place in that final. That was a tweet that will have not stood the test of time in any way, shape or form, unfortunately. Um, yeah, we've got we've got loads to get into. We've got, um, we've got Pedro back. He'll, he's in pretty fine voice, to be honest. We've got uh, Mr. Coates. We've got Joel, who's a little more sombre. And, uh, yeah, we got you and I just rambling on. It's, it's not bad, this yeah, one. It's I not think, bad. Uh, no, it's, it's not, mate. And if, if you've got no interest in it whatsoever, then you could, I was thinking as we were going along today, Ollie, you could play a good drinking game where every time you mention Independiente del Valle, even completely out of context, and, <laughs> you know, Independiente del Valle are a tiny football club from the suburbs of Quito <laughs> that almost no one's heard of. But any time that Ollie Wilson mentions Independiente del Valle, you have a drink. And any time I mention Marcelo Garciado, and the more I say Gachalo, I become more Argentine. You could have a drink at that. And uh, then even if you know nothing about the Libertadores, I think you'll have a pretty merry uh, It's an hour pod. Podcast. It's an hour pod, so, Windsor. We don't want to put people in alcoholic comas or anything like that because we talk about Gachalo a fair bit on most of them at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson and Windsor podcast, over and out. Enjoy this one. <laughs> Takes it down, takes the strike on, and finds Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner, double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. This is McAllister to go. It took an inflection. You can't take it away from the debutant. No, let's, let's dive into the game because it's too big for us to be talking about uh, the weather, I think. We've got to dive straight into the game. Uh, well, we can. The weather's going to come into part of my analysis of the game, I tell you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll save the weather chat for when it's uh, poignant to the football, shall we? <laughs> exactly. The 2019 Libertadores final then. I mean, Jesus, talk about drama. Absolutely insane. Um, it's got to go down as, you know, 60th edition of the Libertadores final. Full time was Flamengo 2, River Plate 1. But God, it really didn't tell the story. At an astonishing end. I mean, football just never fails to surprise you. I, I, I could not see that end coming, Ollie. It was mad. I'm shocked. I'm frustrated. I... I didn't buy into the Gachado and River Plate would be able to topple them. I completely believed it for 89 minutes of pure perfection. I know it was, there were a lot of UK fans, I think, that watched it uh, or at least kind of were viewing it for maybe the first time and thought, oh, well, it's quite slow and nothing's really happening. But anybody that has watched this tournament will know just how good a job Gachado did in stopping the best footballing side on the continent, from playing any sort of football for 99% yeah. of that game. And then, I, I, and I then completely... it's the Manchester United against Bayern Munich 1999 Champions League final takes place just in South America. It's... The 
you're absolutely spot on, Ali. The ability of Gashado to neutralise not just the best side on the continent that we've seen, but apparently, for you know, from people that have been based on this continent for, for 20, 30 years, the best side in that time frame. And I can understand if you don't watch South American football, you watch that final through a UK or European lens and you think, this is a bit shit. Flamengo aren't very good. But my God, I mean, to, to, to neutralise them in the way they did, especially in that first half, I thought was astonishing. Just on, Sorry, mate, to, to jump in. But just on that Bayern Munich-Man United final, it wasn't quite like that, though, was it? Because in that final, Bayern hit the woodwork a couple of times. And it's not like River were creating loads of chances. No, they, they didn't create loads of chances. But they, I felt that River felt in control until about 10 minutes to go. Agree. It was only when they started to sit back a bit more that you suddenly thought, they're, they're allowing Flamengo a little more room further up the field. This... This isn't quite as healthy, but every, everybody was still kept in inside defenders' pockets and, um, and whatnot. So I, I do think that, especially in the first half as well, River were a cultivating... I mean, I don't want to keep saying these lovely little triangle movements that they have on the right and left flank, just on the top right corner and the left corner of the 18-yard box, but they do. One of the front two will move forward, perhaps into that channel. There'll be support from behind, and then there'll be somebody just waiting on the top of the 18-yard box as well. And we saw them trying that over and over again, and then those pullbacks back across goal into the 18-yard box. It's where the goal came from for them. And, and it was always still there just as a potential threat, and it kept Flamengo at bay and kept them pressed back. And then the high press, particularly in a game kicking off at that time, it, scorching sunshine. I said we'd get into weather, by the way. Yep. Uh, heat. <laughs> it, 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 w it looked like that was going to be such an exhausting game plan for River Plate. And uh, and I just wondered maybe if, it, if they got a little too tired towards the end and couldn't, couldn't hold out. But there wasn't a point that you thought Flamengo were going to win it until... They got the equaliser, and then it was just a case of when they were going to win it, and it it was such a dramatic turnaround. It, and so in that sense, I do think it was like the '99 Champions League final because when United got that first goal, you knew they were going to get a second. It was just whether it would be in extra time or again in stoppage time. Before we talk about your favourite player, Gabby Goal, and that five insane minutes. Just just quickly, just back on Gachado. Listen, River didn't win the title, so I don't want to go on and on about Marcelo Gachado. But if you're watching that final, and for 89 minutes, it was a Gachado tactical masterclass. But he's so intelligent to identify the space between Rafinha and Rodrigo Caio. That was the only weak spot in this Flamengo side. And to just push Borre into that channel between the two. Borre was fantastic. Suarez, likewise. And to identify such a small weakness and target it with such precision and effectiveness was just unbelievable. And like he hasn't, River didn't win the final, so we can't go too hard on it. But if you if you're a European club owner and you and you follow Gashado's career and you watch that, despite the fact River have lost, that would make you want Gashado more. I think they they the, played the less, it perfectly. You know? They played it perfectly, and it. And it was completely down to the fact, as we mentioned in the preview podcast, they don't have the same calibre of players. So it was always going to be mm. whether they would have the tactical quality to, to out-nose uh, Flamengo. And, and they did. I mean, as you say, they exposed the very few weak points that they had. Also, the, using a high press, playing a front two. Mm. You know, two things that, that Flamengo haven't had to face and, and rarely face in Brazilian football. And it was like, okay, well, let's yeah. just keep, let's not have this tactical change that, that was being rumoured. Let's keep our style, let's keep our shape, and then let's just play that further up the pitch when they've got possession. And, and they really struggled, really struggled. And I was very surprised how a lot of the Flamengo players that, you know, we've been waxing lyrical about being so composed on the ball and being able to play, just seemed to lose that ability at times. I really thought Jessen was one of the few that... He was at least trying to make some driving runs forward from time to time when Flamengo were at their worst because everybody else was treating the ball a bit like a hot potato and couldn't keep hold of it. Yeah. I, I was amazed at two things. The two fullbacks for Flamengo, both 34 years of age, both with massive European experience on huge stages. They both were absolutely rattled. And then the three behind Gabby Gold. Listen, if Gabby Gold doesn't get service, he's never going to do anything. But... For the three behind, they're supposed to make things happen. And for Bruno Henrique, we've, we've waxed lyrical about him, about him all tournament. 
didn't show up. Dare Asqueta, okay, he's had an important moment in the game, but essentially didn't show up as an overall performance. Everton Ribeiro did nothing. Um, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the moment that you know. Finals are so often about moments, aren't they? They're, they're not mm. really about performances it's so rare you look back on a world cup final or champions league final and say oh that was a great performance it's always you look back on the moments and you know in the fullness of history ollie in 20 years 30 years 50 years when you look back all you'll see from this final you know no one will be talking about marcelo gachado's almost you'll be talking about gabby goal there's going to be that blonde hair everywhere isn't there there's going to be that picture of him stood in front of those flamengo fans in front mm-hmm. of the fence with his arms out, outstretched just on that elevated section in front of them. And that, that is the poster with the Libertadores sign in the background on the top of the stand, the mountains in the, vo- in the very far background, and Gabby Goal in front of the legions of fans who are basically crowning him at that point as the new Christ the Redeemer of Rio. <laughs> that's that's the that's the shot that cameraman has done phenomenal work to get that Gabby Gol knows exactly where to stand for it as well I mean he is he is the focal point he he is the, the Alan Shearer of South American football he is the man that there was so much a weight of expectation on his shoulders if the, if the club as Flamengo were carrying a burden that a lot of that burden was falling on Gabby Gol because he's mm. just the man that finds the back of the net all the time. And, and and he's such a popular and brash character. You know, Bruno Enrique is wonderful, but his style of play, his quality, it's not in your face in that sense. He just gets on and does it. Gabby Gold gets on, does it, and shows you that he's does it. So if he and if and he, he touched the trophy, Ollie. He touched the trophy, mate. Not, not having out. this. Sh- not having this. What do you they, mean? They went crazy on English TV about him touching the trophy. All I'm going to say is, and I don't want to hark on about it too much because it's a sister competition, but Landazuri, the right back for Independiente del Valle, walked out <laughs> and touched the trophy in the Copa Sudamericana final this year. And myself and Joel, we, we mentioned it on, on the broadcast and said, ah, oh, that, you know, that's generally frowned upon doing that. And they went out and won an incredible game of football against Colón. And they were by far the best team in the tournament overall in the Copa Sudamericana. And Independiente del Valle won it. And Landazuri got to hold it properly at the end. So when Gabby Gold, as soon as he did that, and everybody started going, oh, you can't do that. It's like, no, you can now. It's okay. Independiente del Valle well, Gabby set Gold the can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gabby Gold can. I mean, he, Jesus, you know... N- I mean, what can you say, Oli? I know we've criticised him and, and you've definitely criticised him this year. He ends the tournament as the man who's won the trophy, as the top scorer with nine goals. I mean, he's a goal machine. His stock has never been higher. And if he wants, he can go back to Europe in the January transfer window, you know? My favourite favourite rumour I've heard already is that Crystal Palace, even before the final, were looking at him. And all I thought was Gabby Gol is so unlike Crystal Palace except for that pocket of the kind of palace ultras they have uh, down yeah, at Selhurst yeah, Park. Yeah. They'd take to him like a duck to water, but I'm not sure Gabby Gold would really take to the uh, the Premier League in that sense, in, in terms of maybe the money and everything, but it doesn't have that rough round the edges sort of feel that Gabby Gold is through and through. I mean, that 90 minutes was Gabby Gold in every single thing I think about him. You know, he didn't, didn't do much. He did nothing, to be honest. Pinola had him in his pocket for 90% of the Pinola game. Pinola was fantastic, wasn't he? Unbelievable. Like, everywhere Gabby goal was, Pinola was just there. And like, no, you'll go away. No, you'll go away. You won't turn and face goal. You're not mm. having any space. But the two biggest moments that you needed him, Gabby goal turned up and scored the biggest goals. But on the big stage, he also lost his head and got himself sent off. I mean, it's everything about the man that you love and hate. Everything you can criticise him for. And yet every single reason why he is such a hero for Flamengo was brought into that Libertadores final in those in those waning few moments. It, it was a microcosm for the man's time in the Libertadores yeah. this year. And, you know, that's back-to-back sendings off. Neither matter in the league and in the Libertadores. But he's got himself sent off in, in straight games, you know, across two competitions. But listen, it's the Gabby goal final and, and that's how people remember it and... You know, what he does now with it, I was, well, it is Ollie. you know, he's <laughs> the Gabby goal final. And, you know, we were talking after and I asked, um, I asked uh, co-commentator Tim Vickery what, what, he, what Gabby goal wanted. And, you know, he said, we were talking and maybe, 
Gabby Gull wants to be at a football club where he's loved, yeah? And he gets that at Flamengo. No, it means he doesn't play in the Champions League. No, it means he doesn't double his um, wage packet. But I don't know what's important to him. And like maybe I'm being super naive here and you know he would leave in the blink of an eye to a top European club or a mid-tier European club for more money. But you know, if he wants, in football, if he wants to score a crap load of goals and be loved by the supporters in the process, then, you know, there's another 10 years at Flamengo for him. Adulation. It's what a centre-forward like him always wants. That's why he stands in front of those fans after that game. He just wants to feel that. And there will be a time, I'm sure, when money gets put in front of him on the table and he will take the cash and he'll end up back in Europe again at some point. But right now... Right now is the time that Flamengo just stick a contract in front of his nose on the bus home, to be honest, and say, you, f- you see what that was? We've got to buy him first. We're doing it again, yeah. We've got to buy him first. Uh, that, he'll be sold. I mean, uh, Inter will get rid of him because they don't need a Gabi goal when they've got Lautaro Martinez there um, working wonders. He's not good enough for Inter. They've played Lukaku as well, who's, who's excellent there, and, and they've got rid of the supposed bad egg of yep. the bunch in Icardi. They don't want Gabigol turning up and it's like, oh, geez, Icardi <laughs> Brazilian version's back here. So he'll, he'll be on, yeah, he's yeah. on the market to be had. But stay yep. at Flamengo right now and be a, le- be a legend because they can do this again. We'll get onto that later on when we talk about what it, this result means for both these two teams. But they can do it again and he yeah, okay. can be the poster boy for this club for a while. Just a couple of other points on the final, Ollie. I want to hold my hand up and say, I remember in the preview pod, I said, you cannot possibly have Enzo Perez in your combined 11, right? Am I recalling this correctly? That was our <laughs> 100, chat. I said, 100%. you cannot have... Because William around Justin are better footballers, and I still stand by that, but my God, for my money, for 89 minutes, Enzo Perez and Pianola, the two veterans, really, were the best players on the pitch. Enzo Perez was fantastic in front of that back four. Um, you know, he's barking instructions to everyone in front of him. He, he was just a, a, a superb shield and uh, played so well. And Pinola, for a 36-year-old, he loved that battle against Gabby Goal. And I know eventually Gabby Goal's got the, got the two goals. And But Pinola, you know, he, he just loved the physical battle. He was there for everything first. I thought he, he was superb. Borre and Suarez were magnificent. Diego, when he came on for Flamengo, that did change things. Yeah, it you was... Know, um... it, it, it's just... Ch- not, you know, he didn't... It just changed. Something changed in that final 10 minutes. Diego seemed to bring just a little bit more calm. I'm not saying they were, they were hammering the river door down because they weren't. No, it was an element of control Diego in the middle of the park, wasn't it? Mm. That the yeah. Flamengo were crying out for at times when... When they were looking, you know, Bruno Enrique wasn't able to make the runs he wanted. Was barely able to turn and face goal for most of it when he had possession. I mean, the the, the press and the lack of time on the ball that the Flamengo players had was was unbelievable, really, and that it carried on for that long. And when Diego came in, he was just able, with slightly fresher legs, to manipulate the pockets of space a bit more and add a bit more distribution in the middle of the park. Yeah, I completely agree. Just two more notes for me: Lucas Prattoli. I mean, in the build-up to the Flamengo equalising goal, Prato obviously disappointed not to start, comes on, has a couple of pot shots which don't really work, and then he gives the ball away twice in the space of five seconds. You know, he gets the ball back, then gives it away straight away. And Flamengo go up the other end and score. And uh, I mean, you never want, you know, it's football and, and it's human error, but Jesus, I really feel he's cost River. Um, I really thought when he, when he had the first two shots, I thought that he was going to be the man that was going to seal it. Because Prato's had mm. some good moments coming off the bench, in particular in this competition. Good player, yeah. Like a, a fine finisher, and, and has got a good e- effort from range on him. He's got plenty of power and plenty of venom. He just was lacking the accuracy in the final this uh, this weekend. But yeah, he, he's the man who's already and immediately is getting the kind of the finger of blame pointed at him. Not just not just by himself, but by a number of Argentinian fans, River Plate fans, are kind of saying they've they've noticed that Prato moment and have gone, that's what's cost us. That that's the yeah. moment that's let us down. Why? What are you doing? You've got support in that moment, and you're deciding to to give the ball away too cheaply instead. You, we'd have rather you put it into row Z at that point and had your third crack from range that was off target. Yeah, but that's what happened. <laughs> and uh, Flamengo lift the trophy. Should we move on, Ollie, to you know the future and what this means first of all for Flamengo? Well, I wanted to just quickly before we move away from yeah, do, the do. present is. The whole arena, the setup. There was mm. something about it. I, I thought it was a great final. I thought it looked brilliant 
in terms of uh, I, I was obviously here in the UK, so I was only seeing the, uh, the the TV shots and whatnot. But the the aesthetics were awesome. Of it was a whole crowd that was covered in red, and it was just whether your trim was black or white. So it looked great. Yeah. The, that uh, that the Monumental in, in Lima is brilliant as well. It's a awesome state. It's just one big bowl, and then the the kind of Boca Juniors esque boxes rising up halfway up the stand and going all the way to the top again. Very unique, looks fantastic. The the stunning backdrop, the mountains as well, unbelievable. Yeah, great. The only thing I was thinking throughout it was, wouldn't this look so much better under some bloody floodlights? I know they changed yeah, the time yeah. of day. Um, we got really lucky with the Sudamericana final that it was horrible weather, so they had to have the lights on and the the skies were darker than the night anyway with the storm that was coming into Asuncion that evening. But it was something that I was worried about with that final as well. It was just, it looked so much, almost like uh, the 1994 World Cup in the US where so many of the games were just boiling hot, slowed down the pace of it. The pitch was really dry, which was something that was mentioned quite a lot on the broadcasts and on Twitter as well. And I just, I know they want to attract a European audience and it's probably the right thing to do in the long term. But I also think you maybe even just find the witching hour, you know, put it back another hour or so. So at least we get a second half that's maybe marred in a bit of a bit of nighttime, a bit of floodlights, a bit of that sort of glistening atmosphere, because that gives it a bit of extra pop as well. Uh, everything else I thought was yeah, I, looked great, but it was just that. Like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 agree, I do agree. But you talk about the bigger picture and surely to sell the South American game to, to Europe and beyond it had the core principle of playing it around that time slot works. I mean, we know in the UK, the BBC, it was on BBC Two. you know, that's pretty prime time. And I know a lot of other European outlets took it when they probably wouldn't have done otherwise. So I think the, you know, this competition, it needs to transcend South America now. It's 60 years old, the Libertadores, and obviously unbelievable history. Some ab- if you go on YouTube and just look at some of the atmospheres of the past, it's just, um, it's insane. But, it's 2019 now, and the game does move on. And I agree, like you might not have the floodlights and the flares, but if if you wanna, it sounds crass, but if you wanna sell it globally, it has to be the way, mate. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same with every single league, isn't it? You know, you need to create the family friendly uh, Premier League style look to it. Oh, everybody can come and watch it. Yeah, great. No, we've got no problems here in any way, shape, or form sweep everything bad that's under the rug, sweep everything bad that's under the rug, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying that there's anything bad that's been swept under the rug here at all. But you, yeah, you do. If you want to appeal to a mass market, you need to yeah. dilute the 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 edge slightly. Uh, maybe that's a blessing in disguise and having Gabigol still about for a bit because he's going to give the tournament that edge in some way, shape or form when he gets sent off in every final that Flamengo are in for the next five years or so. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. Uh, actually, shall we... Um, before we look ahead to the future and stuff, let's have a chat because we spoke to the chap who did obviously the commentary on BBC Two um, in the fallout of the game. Mark Scott, uh, match of the day commentator, a good friend of, of both of ours, kind of on the I don't want to say English commentary circuit, but you know what I mean. There's like a group of people. We all came through similar areas and ended up working on similar projects and stuff. But no, Mark, for a bit of time. I'm uh, just leaving. I'm just leaving you running down this metaphor tunnel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we've known Mark for a fair bit of time. We've, we've all worked with him. Uh, many of us have worked with him on a lot of stuff, and uh, and he obviously did the comms on the Libertadores. This is what he had to say about about the whole experience of doing the Libertadores final and uh, and what he thought on the game as well. Yeah, and it's it's sorry, yeah. Just before this comes in, it is re- it's really interesting. I think it's a, it's a really interesting take on 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 someone that's doing it for the for the BBC and and kind of seeing this tournament for the for the first time on this on this uh, level. And we've also got words from other other members of our extended Wilson and Windsor podcast group, which is Pedro, the Flamengo fan, as bags of emotion in that he's the second voice up and then we've got Joel Richards who wrote the book on the Super Classico he gives a great river perspective and of course Peter Coatas Golasso is the fourth voice in this little section and he talks about that the wider meaning really for Argentine football and touches on river and Gachado and co so enjoy the next four voices um, the atmosphere uh, the noise the stadium um, I thought was fantastic and you know it was a it was a brilliant spectacle off the pitch, but um, didn't quite live up to what we were hoping for in terms of a blockbuster on it in the terms of play. That said, 
it was interesting tactically. Gashado, um, well, I guess he lived up to the hype about him in, in the sense of him getting his tactics absolutely spot on. Um, I think that it was a bit of a robbery really late on, but you have to give um, Gabby Goal credit. I think you said, Ollie, that you know, he's a bit like um, uh, Copa Libertadores um, version of Alan Shearer. He just scores goals, he gets goals, and he did nothing... Um, all game and then popped up with, with a predatory finish and then a wonderful piece of striking play to, to get the winner and then went and, and got um, sent off straight after. And I'm still not sure what that was, uh, what that was for. But um, yeah, cracking end to the game. It'll, I'm sure, go down in Copa Libertadores history for the climax. Um, as a whole, the, the spectacle may be not quite what we were hoping for. And I guess that will lead to debate about the, the, the new format, neutral venue and the one-off final. Sorry, you may notice that I lost a little bit of my voice. <laughs> but yeah, guys, I, this, this is the happiest moment of my life when it comes to football. It, it truly has been. Um, and what a way to win. If you've, if you've been a Flamengo supporter or if you've been following Flamengo for a while, you learn that that's the only way we can win, man. It, it's never the easy way. Um, I think River completely outshined us in the first half. There's no debate there. We really did not show up. Um, I think Jesus gave them a good old mouthful in the uh, in the dressing room, and when they came back, they started showing up a little bit. But yeah, I'll 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 confess to you that by the 80th minute, I don't know. I, I just I I I thought I thought we were, we weren't going to score. I thought that was it. Um, but obviously we did, and yeah, I guess I'll see Liverpool in a bit. Hello, gents. Yeah, I think everyone uh, at River Plate is still just digesting just that astonishing defeat. You know, it's it's back to Man United, Bayern Munich with that late turnaround for Flamengo, who end obviously over 30 years trying to win the Copa Libertadores, and for River just seeing having dominated the game. I think there was there's a real pride in what they managed to do. Obviously, disappointment that they didn't manage to win and become the first team uh, since Boca in 2000, 2001 to win back to back. Copa Libertadores, so real disappointment. I think a lot of pride in the performance they put in. You know, Mark Gachardo said afterwards that there were a lot of people expecting River to, to lose, you know, 3 4 nil to Flamingo. In the end, they were by far the better side, but ultimately paid the price for not scoring uh, a second goal when they did have the advantage So and, were, and very much had the upper hand. So, uh, I mean, massive disappointment. It's going to take a long time to get over this, but the bottom line is that they were there to fight for uh, for the title. They made it to another Copa Libertadores final. That's 15 t- uh, finals under Gachardo for River Plate in the last five years. So it's still a major achievement, and I think that's what, looking forward, that's going to be the uh, that's going to drive them forward. They've, they've got a, a final of the Copa Argentina, so the Argentine FA Cup, if you like, coming up. They're in the final of that, so there could be silverware still. And also, don't forget that for all the success that Gachardo's had in, in the Libertadores in particular with River, uh, he's never won the Argentine league title. So that now becomes a focus. Try and win a domestic title as well. It's the one trophy, as I said, that Gachardo hasn't won with River Plate. So that's probably now um, what they'll try and focus on. And whether or not Gachardo's future is in doubt, certainly from River's point of view, not at all. His contract is, to, is until 2021. He has been linked with the Barcelona job, Paris Saint-Germain as well. Just wonder whether this result changes that a little bit. I think if he'd won, if he'd beaten Flamengo here, won back-to-back Copa Libertadores title, you just kind of think, you know, the statue of him is going up outside the Monumental soon. You know, the job's done. Uh, not much really to add to it. But having lost this Libertadores in this, this way, perhaps that means all the more he wants to stay for longer and uh, and try and win another another Libertadores. The nature of the defeat sees 99% of River supporters welcome the team back with the same affection as they did when they waved them off to Lima. Um, for the clubs and the supporters, nothing can really top 2018. So this defeat is probably more meaningful for, for Boca um, than anything else. You can breathe a sigh of relief that the gap hasn't been closed any further. I think Gashada remains as desirable as ever. 
and might feel it's a good moment to take the plunge um, and go to Europe when there's an off, if when or if an offer comes in. Um, and although the club won't be pushing him anywhere, um, and would happy to go again in 2020, we'll have to wait and see what may come in over the next few months. Um, River and Boca will remain among the favourites next year in the Copa Libertadores, regardless of what happens over the coming months, such as the, the stature of the clubs. Um, so Argentinian football will remain as essential to the competition as ever. Racing join them. They too will have aspirations to go far. But the rest of the field from Argentina is, is going to be weaker in 2020 when you look at defensives to see a maybe even Centro Córdoba, depending on how it goes in the Copa Argentina. So a brilliant year of Libertadores action. And I personally can't wait to get started again in 2020. Uh, what it means for Flamengo is... It's it's game on now. I mean, they've they've set the bar pretty high. Winning the league, albeit they will win the league. It's all but just a what, half a point of goal difference or uh, whatever they need to, to wrap up the Brazilian Serie A title and a Libertadores title finally, the second one since uh, since the club's inception and their first since 81. I mean, yeah, I, the, the, the bar now is so high because of the, the, the money they've spent, the quality they've brought in. And, and the expectation now is go and do it again. Uh, they'll enjoy this moment, I'm sure. But a side like Flamengo, with, in the position that they're in now in South American football, the expectation is to repeat. Now they've got to do what River have done. And whether Jorge Jesus is the man who is going to be put in charge of doing that and perhaps taking the mantle of being that legendary icon at Flamengo, of repeating success after success like Gachado has done, is is a different question. And I'd have to say I wouldn't know because the guy's only been in the job since June for crying out loud. And it's a great start to a yeah. job. But yeah, the I, only I way is up. And how do, you, how do you go higher up than this? Well, I guess you win the Club World Cup. But I mean, I, I agree that for Flamengo, I think if I'm George Jesus and like you say, I mean, I, like, you know, he only touched base on this continent in the summer and who knows mate he might want to he might think his stock's so high I'm going to go back to Europe as quickly as possible but let's say he wants to stay he must look around the continent and think no one from Argentina can really touch them in terms of finances and they are the biggest club in Brazil they've got by far the best group of players if he wants as you say this is legacy time he's playing for all time now you know Flamengo the, the biggest club in Brazil only won the second Libertadores first as you mentioned in 1981 if he looks at the next five years and yes Gabi Gol might leave or Bruno Enrique might leave but it's such a strong squad and there's such a big name Flamengo that I do think he might look at it and think, right, five years, I'm going to win three Libertadores titles here. That is honestly what, in terms of the quality of the squad that he's got and the size and stature of the club, this can be the ultimate platform. And the way he's revolutionised things in terms of playing style, there's a real shot here at all time for Georgia Jesus and Flamengo in the next uh, five years, I'd say. Yeah, they're a, they're a team that have suddenly dropped a big bomb on South American football and have said, look, everything that you guys have been doing in the past, we're taking it up a notch. And then some. We're bringing that European flair and we've got a bag of cash to be able to fund it. You know, whether they'll be able to... Like Felipe Luis and Rafinha mentioned in the final, they were they were really poor. So disappointing, yeah. which is why one of them is definitely removed from my uh, 11 of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but they they were. And uh, and they're not going to survive forever either. You know, past 30, both of them. And, and, you know, this is a great little mm. boost for their careers at this point in time. And so he'll have to find replacements for that. But the thing is now is that they're the reigning Libertadores champions and they've got the cash to be able to spend. So it's not going to be too hard, at least on this con on the South American continent, to be able to find replacements uh, of a similar ilk for, for Jorge Jesus's long-term plan. The only th the only thing is is that managers maybe have a six to eight month tenure average anyway in South American football. So this has just bought him yeah. six months maybe, maybe maybe a year <laughs> with the uh, with the Serie A title as well. But yeah, six to eight months. But as soon as it starts going badly, you know, it, there's a good chance he could be done and dusted and gone. But you, you're definitely right in terms of it's now legacy time. If he really wants to go and make a legacy of himself in South American football, now's the time to do it. I, I just wonder as well how long it is before Flamengo fans forget about the Libertadores final. I mean, we've seen it this week, not to bring an English football thing into it, but, you know, Tottenham fans... Some, some are frustrated that Pochettino is gone, but there are some that are saying it's the right thing to do and almost forgetting that this has been a five-year project and it's the first blip in a continuing upward spike 
for Tottenham's project under Pochettino. You know, he's brought in some wonderful players. He's bought in good players as well. He's worked through a lot of restrictions. Now, Jesus, in the same way, you know, he's on the up right now. And just how fickle will the fan base be before they then turn if things start going wrong? But it's all there to not go wrong. It's all in place for it to be a success story right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Things can change. Yeah. Can change incredibly quickly. And yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that at all. It'd be fascinating to see how that one all pans out. What about for River Plate, Ollie, and, and the future? I mean, what was interesting is in that River starting 11, nine of the starting 11 played some part in the final against Boca in 2018. So Cachado's really kept this whole squad together. And I guess when we talk about the future for River Plate, it's certainly in the short-term future, it is so intrinsically linked to the future of Marcelo Cachado. And, um, you know, we heard Joel earlier in, in, his, um, in his clip just saying that perhaps losing this final might just mean Gachado stays for, you know, stays for another year or two, tries to win the Argentine Superliga or has another stab at the Libertadores. Personally, and, and I don't, clearly, I don't know Marcelo Gachado, but I just feel like it's the end of a chapter. And I thought he was so stoic, actually, really stoic in defeat in his post-match press conference on the pitch when the Flamengo were lifting the trophy, that, you know, there was, there was no emotion. It was a poker face. Mm. I thought he handled himself really well. And I just wonder, I know he loves the club. I know he's won it. As a player at River in 96, I know he's reached three Libertadores finals, two uh, winning two of them in the last five years. But surely for Marcelo Gachado now, it doesn't have to be Barcelona, mate, but it, it has to be Europe. I completely agree with you. The manner of defeat as well, I think, comes into it. Because you, to be that good for that long and still lose, you've, you're, a, you're, you're potentially asking Gachado, and, and again, Clubs change. I mean, you look at Godoy Cruz, got rid of what, 17, <laughs> not even not 17, but I think it was like 12 of their 30 man Libertadores squad was, was, so yeah, was yeah, sold yeah. in the winter, South American winter break this year. So the turnaround is massive at some of these clubs, and it hasn't been at River. That's part of Gachado's success. But you wonder as well if Gachado is a manager that looks at that, that squad now and says, right, I've, I've run this almost into the ground. You know? Yeah. The likes of Pinola has have been exceptional servants in in the last two years for Gashado in particular. But you know Pinola ran out of steam at the end, and you would argue was at fault perhaps for that second goal after the 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 yeah, awkwardness around yeah. around Gabby goal and and not dealing with the danger. And and yeah, the stoicness as you mentioned, the the lack of emotion. It's almost like a man looking over his his kingdom and saying, "Hmm, I've gone as far as I can go now." And and I'm, the way Argentinian football is set up, it's not set up for River to be able to compete in any way, shape or form in terms of being able to entice this, players with finances. This, mate. Yeah. It's set... I think that's... I think... Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree about... The, the fact is, and I've I got to say, this is another thing that impressed me about, about Gachado, is how many managers, mate, would have, before this Libertadores final, said, hang on, Flamengo have spent... an incredible amount of money and I brought in one football he brought in Diaz you know that was it since winning it last year they spent no money because Argentine clubs don't have the money that Brazilian clubs do how many European managers in the build-up to the game in the weeks and the, pre and the you know that the press conferences before would have said hang on Flamengo should be 10 to 1 on here they've spent <laughs> massive money they've spent massive money and he didn't breathe a word of it and you know it was not really mentioned. I mean, we, we you know we've mentioned it a lot, and of course everyone knows Flamengo have got cash. But the disparity in wealth between these two clubs is unbelievable, and I think that might it, it definitely it decreases the motivation for. Let's say Gachado stays another five years, mate. How is he supposed to compete with Flamengo and other Brazilian clubs mm. on this platform? It's, it's too difficult, you know. For him, his, his legacy is secure. You know, I know they're in the Copa Argentina final, and you know he might have a stab at trying to win the Superliga this season, and and then I think he's. He's got to go to Europe. The, the stock can't be higher um, than it is, as you mentioned earlier in the no, in the podcast no. right now. Yeah. After what he's just pulled off, he's just he's just managed to get a, a dwindling in age in certain in certain places in that squad in particular, and and a, and a side that he he's got every last drop out of, and they almost pulled off one of the best victories tactically in a yeah. in a cup final. That to be honest, one of the best victories that I would have ever seen. Because I was so convinced yeah, I, I, that Flamengo yeah, yeah, were going to yeah. be able to play the style of football that they were going to play. And I think, to be honest, most people were as well. So 
for the fact that he's been able to do that just kind of uh, just kind of shows that Gachado has got everything out of this side and the, as you mentioned the setup means his hands are tied and everything and so now it's just a case of okay I'm the best on this continent at what I do and I have already completed this continent now it's time to take the suit put it in a suitcase and and fly somewhere else <laughs> and 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 now for can, if, can if I, river can... let that happen by the way i think they're completely Ooh. the pooch is screwed because mm. yeah i mean that doesn't yeah, come around very often palacios that. will look elsewhere Monsieur, yeah. no 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 it's yeah super let me ask you a question ollie if gashado wins the libertador if he'd won the libertadores on saturday then uh I've no doubt that Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain will be interested. And they still should be interested because those crazy last five minutes does not take anything away from Gachado as a coach and his capacity to potentially do it in Europe. But do you reckon, you know how, you know, we know how big European clubs operate. Do you reckon that means that Paris Saint-Germain and Barcelona don't come in for him? And it gives club, maybe like, I'm not saying this exact club, but for an example, West Ham. It gives a club like West Ham the chance for someone to fly from London to Buenos Aires, get in a room with Gachado at West Ham and be like, we want you, just you, you're our man. It just perhaps not winning that final brings another tier of football clubs from Europe into play. What do you reckon? I don't know how you've stolen my notes because West Ham was one of the sides that I immediately ringed as a potential Gachado landing spot in European football because Pellegrini's going to be on his way out because they're playing terribly and they yeah. need somebody to organise that team. Uh, yeah, completely. Uh, I, can't really add too much more to your statement there man i mean i think that's exactly the way it's going to end up going down to be honest or, or it should that's the way it should end up going down there there should be a plethora of clubs right now but i don't know why even the big i know the jobs perhaps aren't available at the big sides right now but i don't know why even the bigger sides in european football wouldn't look at him like you think of the argentinian minds that, yeah. that are managing in european football right now simeone a leader of men and actually a very good tactician the number of times that he has frustrated Barcelona to the point of belief, when this Barca side was at its very best as well, they still always struggled against Simeone. You look at um, San Paoli when he was at uh, Sevilla and the squad that he created, you know, this kamikaze football that was great to watch. Yeah, you'd win some. Yeah, you'd lose some. Yeah, San Paoli would be going ballistic. Then you look at Bielsa, who we've experienced, I think, down in Buenos Aires. It's almost been a shock that he is the most beloved manager in European football right yeah. now, down in Argentina. You know, nobody talks about Simeone. No one talks about Pochettino. And of course, everybody should yeah. talk about Pochettino after what he's done at Tottenham. So Argentinian, uh, South American manager stigmatism should be gone by now, by, by those trailblazers in, in the last few years. And there have obviously been Argentinian managers before that as well. But I'm just saying in this modern game. I, and I don't, I, I can't understand why you wouldn't look at what has happened and what Gachado has done historically with one with a big club in South America but also mentally with with the way he has grown as a manager and and you can if if it's obvious for me to be able to see how good a tactician it is it's quite obvious he's a good tactician because I'm not a masterclass of reading a game of football I, I watch a <laughs> lot of football but I'm I'm, yeah. I'm no I'm no Marcelo Gachado you know <laughs> so I it shows <laughs> it shows how good he is for it to be so obvious yeah. glaringly obvious yeah. But yeah, where I, but wouldn't I, you be disappointed, Dave, if if he went to a side that was almost below I think everybody who follows Argentinian football a bit kind of gets a, a real soft spot for Gachado. It's quite obvious mm. we've probably got quite a soft spot for Gachado by the way we talk about <laughs> yeah. him on this podcast, to be honest. But wouldn't <laughs> do you think it'd be disappointing if he went to a club that you thought Oh, that's kind of beneath him. Oh, what are you doing in the Europa League? Well, like, but or less, you know. I mean, but if he goes to a club like West Ham, he's not there for long, mate. I mean, he's that good, and I know that no one's ever properly actually told me what Gachado's level of English is, and I've really done some digging with this. No one's ever quite. I know he's he spent a year in the MLS, at least a year actually as a player, so presumably he does have some level of English. But just using West Ham as this example, if he goes to West Ham, he's not there long. I mean, I think he's there for a year. Everyone thinks Jesus, this coach is good, and he goes to a bigger club. I mean, so maybe he could use a mid-tier European side as as, as a stepping stone, but it, it, it's certainly good. You know, one 
uh, thing that I heard that's pretty crazy, but I heard it, so I'm going to repeat it. Is Gashada to take over as head coach of uh, Beckham's MLS brand? Oh, no. Selling your soul oh. to the dollar and the devil all in one. I mean, it's just, <laughs> just a rumour, you know. But, mate, if someone... You know, someone offers to quadruple your salary and says, "Come and live in uh, it's in Miami, isn't it? Come and yeah. live in Miami, and we'll give you the key keys to this. You know, the first year of of something that could last a hundred years. I don't know. And a, you a know, massive, people, massive South American 40... community in 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 Miami yeah. and in the area as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it would. There's something there. There's fit. something there. It would fit, and they're going yeah. to be able to attract reasonable quality as well with the Beckham name attached to the attached to the franchise and. And they're going to be competing for MLS titles soon, but but no one would respect. And it's the cut. It's the cut. No, they wouldn't. But I mean, he's forty three. He can he can take on a few different adventures. And as you say, it, just when you're sort of reading out potential reasons, it does fit kind of. And also, they could say, listen, this is not. We're not getting some washed up coach from Europe who's just got a big name, but um, you know, is, is is tactically ten years behind now. They're getting a genuine one of an up and coming manager, but with a huge history of success. So, from 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 the sort of Beckham's Beckham's club, I get it. But I mean, it, it's just a rumor. But I thought I'd throw it in there. Uh, it, yeah, it it reads well. It, it makes sense on paper. I think the heart and the head are very different in terms of the football fan in me that, of enjoying that idea. But I, I think at the end of the day, the the point for me now is that for Gashado, this is the best time. I think I would have said if he'd won it, and I kind of hinted at it on the last podcast and I think the one before as well if he had won it this year that would be a banker for him staying and like let's go for broke I'm the king already but I want to be you know lord emperor almighty upon high at this point and I want to win three in a row mm. and I think he would have made a real run at that and now I think it's the time of I've given it that go I've given it my all these players have given it their all and now we are handcuffed in the way that we're able to operate in terms of winning a Libertadores. I mean, if I'm a Boca Juniors fan right now, I'm dreading the future on the continent. When you look at what Flamengo have done and the ideas of uh, yeah. Brazilian ownership changing to being more European style and yeah, less fan owned yeah. and etc. And if I'm a Boca Juniors fan, you know, they've been outplayed by River now in the final last year, in the semi-final this year. They haven't exactly captured the imagination with their football this year either throughout the competition. You know, they were good at what they did, but it wasn't a great, enjoyable show in, in any way, shape or form. And now you're going to have to compete with... You think Flamengo is going to be the, the, the end of this? No way. Internacional, Gremio, you know, Santos, yeah. Corinthians. There's going to be a lot of Brazilian clubs that will be looking at Flamengo and going... Copycat. We need to adapt yeah. here. Palmeiras under Scolari. I mean, it's... Mm. It, it spells trouble yeah, for Argentinian style, football. but huge club. Yeah, it really does. Uh, right, the Club World Cup, mate. Flamengo are in it, and we know how seriously they take it on this continent. It hasn't always been taken seriously by European sides. Flamengo won it in 1981, beat Liverpool in the final, and uh, you know they still sing about it today. And, and they go into the, the Club World Cup uh, next month, and should be really interesting. It's the River Plate versus Flamengo of the Club World Cup, basically. It's the two sides that we want to see in the final, Flamengo against Liverpool. It's gonna be it's gonna be an entertaining affair. It's Liverpool I don't think will would set out to try and stifle Flamengo's style of football. It would be a case no. of you do you and we'll do us and let's see who can score the most goals, I imagine. Again, you never know over ninety minutes, the tentativeness which which did play a part, I think, in that final as well a little bit, particularly in the early going. But um but yeah, I, Flamengo will think it's written in the stars, to be honest, to to win the Libertadores and we've got Liverpool up next as well. Like, this is our time sort of thing. It might be a bit of a shock and a bit of a come down to earth because Liverpool are head and shoulders above most of the Premier League right now. I, I know you'll be smiling hearing that, Dave, obviously, but, but it's true that they're a fantastic uh, footballing side right now and, and it's another step up to take on the best in Europe still. But it, it will be a yeah. really fun watch, those two. I think it's another another five steps up. I mean, Flamengo, albeit the best side in South America and the best side that best club side that South America football seen for a while. But if if Santos Borre and Suarez caused the Flamengo back four so many problems, <laughs> what uh, you know what Sadio Mane 
Mo Salah and Bobby Firmino going to do to Rodrigo Caio and Rafinha? And, uh, you know, they're, used to, they're used to playing against a three, though. They're used to playing against a three. So it's only with it's a front <laughs> two that it's difficult. I, I think if, if Liverpool are anything like their best, and they're not always, you know, but they always get a way to find a way to, to get the job done. I, I can't see a problem for Liverpool, but, you know, you never know. If you're a Flamengo fan... Hard, what a platform. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Dave. If you're a Flamengo fan, though, would, no, you, go for it, go would for it. you worry about the Club World Cup in that you're kind of putting some of these players potentially in a shop window again, mm. right in front of a European manager? Yeah. yeah. Do you ideally want Gabby Gold to have the kind of match he had in the Libertadores for 89 minutes, but for the entirety of the game, it doesn't do anything. And a few European scouts are like, hmm, what's that Gabby Gold about? Now mm. we're not going to pay 35 million for him. I do know what you mean, but uh, obviously they're obsessed with the Club World Cup out here and um, they're going to go for broke to try and win it. It's in late December, by the way, just just prior to, a week prior to Christmas. They've, uh, they've still got to, both Liverpool and uh, Flamengo have still got to get past Yeah, the... it's a semi-final first. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you who they're playing, I have to say. Yeah, it was quite interesting on the BBC. Uh, it was the Club World Championship then it's the club world competition or something like that. I mean, they went through three or four different names. So it made me feel better about our podcast where I couldn't remember if it was the World Club Cup or the Club World Cup. So, yeah, I think I think European football has We've a semi, it this week, though, similar think. view of this one. We've, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is the Club World Cup. I, I, I believe that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, someone's researched but, yeah. this week. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um Best eleven, mate. That's the end. That's I can say that's the end of the that's the end of the tournament. It's handing out the honest oh, time now, it, isn't it? it? I mean, yeah, it was it was a bloody bloody enjoyable tournament as well, you know. So let's so me and Ollie, we're gonna go through our best elevens from all the teams involved in the 2019 Libertadores. Obviously, it's a joint best eleven. Uh, right, who have you got in goal, Ollie? He, he started in my final. I thought he was. Excellent in terms of composure in the final. I've got no reason to go away from Armani, really. Uh, there, there aren't many other keepers that have stood out either for me personally in terms of I've watched them and thought, oh, he's he's a great keeper. He's a, he's a great shot stopper. And so Armani, with the before, I wouldn't blame him for either of the goals. The performance he had up until the 89th minute, he was, he was great. So I still still stick the river keeper in my back line. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're more than justified in doing that. And, and it was a great save from Armani in the... In the 90 minutes, I've stuck with Diego Alves just because ultimately Flamengo are the side that have lifted the trophy. But I agree that there are not really any standout keepers in the Libertadores this year for my money. Uh, you're right back. Right back has been changed by the final. So it was going to be hmm. Rafinha because when he and Felipe Luis came in at Flamengo, they were both excellent. Um, I'd have loved to have taken Alex Vigo of Colón, but unfortunately they didn't feature in it uh so I've gone with Montiel because he looks like he's going to be an absolute cracker uh and and he was really good in the final as well I thought yesterday and it I was on the fence of whether it was going to be Montiel or or Rafinha for my final 11 and and it's not all my team by the way Flamengo and River players there are others in but the first two you mentioned are yeah (laughs) yeah I've also got Montiel mate I've admired him throughout the tournament he's uh He's young. He wants to. He doesn't want to defend. He wants to attack, which is great if you're in that kind of side. But listen, he's not bad defensively either. I think he's exciting. I think in a really top side, uh, he's really, really exciting. So Montiel is my right back. Just out of interest, yeah, have it. you done this on quality or what you've enjoyed watching, so to speak? Quality. Okay, cool. Just wanted to. Just, just was wondering. I think he's. I think he's the best right back. Yeah. Cool. You. Uh, similar criteria. Yeah, very similar. But there are some players that have that have impressed me, and I know they're not the best necessarily in the competition. You know, but we're, we're I'm intrigued at what, what's coming up next, mate. What, who are your two centre backs? Uh, centre backs. I have I have Walter Cannaman. So this is one of the ones that you're probably thinking. Oh, I was so close to putting him in, mate. I was so close to putting him. Thought in. Thought he was awesome throughout the tournament uh, for Gremio, um, and and was the absolute anchor in a side that had no anchor whatsoever, really, except for him. Uh, well, they had one maybe further up the field, but yeah, Walter Kahneman was awesome. Uh, the other one is the man who immediately I saw and after a game, maybe even half a game, I thought, yeah, this is a guy that could easily play in Europe. Dede, absolute unit oh, for Cruzeiro. Me, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dead A's, uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, unbelievable um, physicality, great reading of the game. I know he's had injuries in the past, but Dead A, uh, yeah. And of course, of course, River couldn't score against Cruzeiro in two legs in that in that last 16 clash. So, um, yeah, Dead A's in my team too, mate. And Canaman was so close. We've nearly matched up there. I've gone for Pablo Marie of Flamengo. Fair. Um, I just, yeah, I like him. I think, I think he's... I think he's doing a role and a half next to Rodrigo Caio, to be honest, who I think is a bit erratic. And Pablo Marie, who was once on the books at Manchester City, of course, um, I think he's I think he's top quality. So Dede and Pablo Marie are my two centre backs. Who's your left back? Bruno Cortes. Who is he? The Gremio. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it was a great tournament for for left backs that I can really remember. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Felipe Luis had a poor final for my money. So I, I didn't want to put him in. Yeah, I've gone for Bruno Cortes. I think he impressed me most. You? I went for uh, Santiago Arzamendia, the, uh, okay. the the young left-back at uh, Cerro Porteño. Yeah, the youngster. Who, yeah, okay. who, for a 21-year-old in that level of competition, thought was was excellent. You know, played nine games, scored, assisted, supported the attacks. And it, it, from... Everything that scouts and and coaches have said is the next best thing in uh, in Paraguayan football. So uh, yeah, I, I've I've gone with Arzamendia. Hipster's choice, I think that would be for the left backs. Okay, no, I like it. Are you it. going I with like a, it. Are you going with a midfield three or a four four two? Are you going Gachado or are you going uh, Flamengo? No, I'm going a. I'm going three. I'm going three in the centre of the park and then three, three forwards. Okay. So my, but essentially, I've got two of that midfield three are sitting. So I'll, I'll say the two that are sitting in in the centre of the park are Enzo Perez, just because I thought he was fantastic in the final. Like he, I thought he was utterly fantastic in the final. And I've also got Jerson, who I thought I've been impressed with Jerson, as I know you have as well throughout the tournament. And just that little bit of composure. I love the way he can pirouette inside the centre circle and has got the composure uh, to do so. And he's great in the transitions. Good in the tackle. Yeah, so Jerson and Enzo Perez as the kind of two sitting. Enzo Perez 100% makes my uh, my holding midfielder of the uh, of the three-man uh, triangle I've got in the heart of the pitch. And then flanking him just on the left and right further ahead, Patrick on the left side for Internacional, who yeah. is the man that reminds me the most of N'Golo Kante on this continent. He is just up and down okay. the pitch, and he's better at attacking than N'Golo Kante. He's a great ball winner. I've I've never seen somebody occupy so much space on a football pitch, to be honest. He was awesome when I watched him. And one of the reasons why I really enjoyed watching Internacional during the tournament. The other one is uh, is somebody that I just love. Alexis McAllister. Uh, it just, oh, he I can't an, believe you found a way to get him in. Oh, 100%. He, he has <laughs> an ability... I really think he's got an ability, not just from what we've seen, but go, to go into the future to make that Boca heart of the of the field tick. I, I, I think he's awesome. I really rated him. Okay. Plus, okay. He, plus he's got um, a really nice goal as well against Atletico Paranaense. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got then I've got three in behind my main striker. Okay. What's your three? So I've got and it, they are they're really fluid. Uh, I've got Bruno Henrique. For me, he's the best player in the tournament. Five goals, five assists. He didn't show up in the final, which is which is a mark against his name. But listen, aside from that, he was absolutely phenomenal. We've uh, we've praised him highly on the pod this year. Then I've got Derascaeta. I just think he's a lovely little footballer. Again, wasn't great in the final, but I'm not going to hold that against him for what he produced over the course of the year in the Libertadores. And then you know I've got I've got Everton from Gremio. Um, not purely because of this, but a big part is how he beat Palmeiras by himself within five minutes. And I, 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 that was one of the best individual displays, if not the best individual display um, that I've seen from a player to, to single-handedly drag their side through. And I just think he's, an, just think he's a really unique little player, the way he squeezes, squeezes through tight holes. And I'm sure someone will take him from Gremio. So that's my three behind Gabby Goal. How about you, Oli? Uh, who, who makes up the rest of your eleven? The rest of my team is Everton. He, he single-handedly t- drags Gremio as far as he yeah. could this year. And uh, uh, talking mm. of the most valuable players for teams, Gremio would be nothing without him. So it's Everton. Yep. Uh, certainly on the left, 
Bruno Enrique on the right, for all the reasons that you said, he's an f- excellent player. Can't take anything away from him. And begrudgingly, yeah, I, I want somebody to finish at the end of the day. Gabby Gold will provide the yeah. provide the finish. Uh, he's got to be there, doesn't he, really? We'd have disciplinary problems and he'd be fined a few weeks' wages in my side, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, but he gets the job done at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah, uh, two, two very solid sides, to be honest. And it's quite interesting that we've gone quite similar and also remembered a lot of the same names, you know. Yeah, I really wanted to put Walter Kahneman in. And in the end, I went for Pablo Marie in the end. But uh, uh, yeah, interesting, mate. Really interesting. Uh, what about your your standout play, player of the... I want to actually, I want to add something. We didn't talk about this pre-pod, Ollie. But let's say your standout player of the tournament and your biggest disappointment of the tournament. I'll, I'll go first if you want. Yeah, yeah. The best player of the tournament for me was Bruno Enrique. Um, as I said, he didn't show up in the final, which is a, a real shame because those watching on from a global perspective, and, and I've done this, you've done this, everyone's done it, when you when you haven't watched a side at all and you hear about a player or a team and then you watch one final with them in and you think, what's everyone talking about? He's crap. And so I, I, I do understand that mentality because I've done that a million times. But listen, if you watched Flamengo's dismantlement of Gremio in the semi-final over two legs and saw the performance of uh, Bruno Henrique. He's just a fabulous footballer. Five goals and five assists in the tournament. He's the best player in the tournament for me. The biggest flop, I'm going to say Daniele De Rossi because he came with like, and I know he barely played on it. <laughs> but yeah, but me, he came like with this the biggest fanfare you've ever seen. He was the man that was going to do it for Boca. Has he, he's barely played. I mean, it's just a ridiculous weight of expectation on him. And I just, I mean, we said at the time I couldn't see it really working, and it didn't. Uh, you know, I, I was almost tempted to say in terms of my, the biggest disappointment, Lucas Prato, just because he basically cost River the final. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the Rossi just, just, just for disappointment. When you said, let's throw in a biggest disappointment, I initially thought, well, De Rossi. But then I thought, well, he's not really played, so I, I can't say him. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you did say him. I don't hold that against him. <laughs> yeah, I just went for him. Uh, yeah, that... <laughs> That's the biggest embarrassment of the tournament, without a doubt. Uh, just, just a joke. That whole palaver around him and uh, and the fact that he's, you know, he's he's cropped. <laughs> he was, yeah. He's an old man now. It's almost sad. It's <laughs> as sad as forty-five-year-old Robbie Savage signing for a non-league side this weekend. Uh, that is sad. Couldn't even read that story. Um, yeah. It, yeah, Bruno Enrique is the player of the tournament. Goals and assists, and that pass in the final is actually yeah. it doesn't it hasn't had we haven't mentioned it it hasn't had enough credit no we haven't it's a yeah. it's a brilliant little pass into the Aras it it gets the defense looking one way as he's going right and just plays it back across him into the channel perfectly yeah he, he still still came up with something in the final even when he was snuffed out for most of it but yeah he's the best player on the continent mm-hmm. at the moment uh in terms of flops then i was going to st- my immediate thought was go for somebody at Boca because I was just disappointed yeah. with how they played anyway. The boss. But yeah. I'm basically going to say the majority of the front line of Gremio, aside from Everton, because not, okay. not a single one of them gave him any sort of support. They didn't have a centre forward for this whole tournament, basically. They just kept on mixing around, oh, is it going to be Tardelli this week or... Or maybe uh, maybe somebody else comes in and fills the role. No, oh, we'll just get Everton to score. Just just run th- run through everybody and save us. They were they were massively disappointing to me. So anybody in that front line aside from Everton, or Gremio, I think I put down as a big disappointment. But yeah, mm. yeah, a, a f- it, awesome tournament, mate. Really fun to do. Ah, oh, so good. Could, could I just just can we squeeze thirty seconds in, Ollie, on one last thing? Favorites for next year. I mean, it's is it a, a stupid question? Is it? It's, a, is, it's, a, it's it Flamengo, Flamengo, isn't it? Yeah, the the reigning champions look like they've got the ability to go and do it again. the The, the fun thing about picking a favourite for next year, though, is that a few months, even two months, in a, in a transfer window, and this whole continent has a completely different complexion. No yeah. idea where managers or players are going to be. I mean, this River team could end up splitting up completely, and they have a brand new starting eleven for the next. Uh, yeah. For the start of the next tournament. What about you? Are you going just Flamengo? Yeah, yeah, it has to be. I mean, it was a kind of a rhetorical question, but yeah, it's it's worth saying that it's even if they lost Gabby Gol and their Asqueta and one or two others, it, they've just got so much quality, I think. But you know, you're the, absolutely right, some... mate. I mean, it. 
there's a factor yeah, to take in with uh, altitude and Liga de Quito and uh, and of course <laughs> of course uh, Independiente del Valle as well. The Sudamericana winners are going to be in that tournament. And if oh, they can I can I change my answer to Independiente del Valle? <laughs> you certainly get. I t- oh, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that so much that. If I don't, I can't get my hands on their pink pink away shirt at the moment. I'll be distraught if they uh, if they do well next year and I haven't got it. They're they're a fun side Mate, to watch. If they do well next year, if they do well next year, then we're producing the Amazon Prime Independiente del Valle season uh, inside the changing rooms <laughs> uh, mini series, aren't we? I believe so. <laughs> I've got every other weekend booked to be in Quito from February to April <laughs> next year. So uh, we'll see how the early oh, filming yeah. goes and see what happens, but. Dahome is going to be the man next year. He's the face of it, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right, mate. Incredible tournament. Uh, it's been, I know it's cheesy and whatever, but it's been a super, it's been a super privilege to to work on a tournament that previously I'd seen, like you, Ollie, I guess. We, like, we knew what the Libertadores was about and seen it from afar, but to be in amongst it and, and to really feel it, I, I can genuinely say that for entirely different reasons, I would run it alongside the Champions League for 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 pure drama and watchability, if you like. And the final wasn't great as as an overall spectacle, even though it had a great end ending. But that's just finals. And for an overall tournament, the geographical variables, the subplots, the unpredictability—it's. Oh, I'm a Libertadores convert, mate. I love it. It's gone up in your estimations, has it? Or is it? Has it just surprised oh, you how good it it is? No, it's gone up in my estimation. I, I, you know what? I don't think I was ever... I always knew the quality wasn't European football. I think we both did. But just some of the storylines you just wouldn't get in Europe and some of the surprises as well. And uh, not to mention the atmosphere. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all in. How about you? Yeah, it's the most colourful tournament. It's it's football at its rawest. And I, and I really like that. Uh, don't get me wrong, I... I I like football grounds being safe and all that, and I don't want there to be trouble at football grounds or anything like that. But I, I, I fell in love with football watching, you know, Italian football in the '90s when it was really rough around the edges at times. And there, there is certainly that element still on uh, on the South American continent. It's an absolute riot. Um, yeah, and a big thanks to everybody who's you know got tired of me and you nudging them for uh, for audio content over the last few weeks as well. Uh, to all the people like Pedro and. Uh, and Joel and, and Mr. Coates as well, who's taken time out from his very busy under 13 scouting reports to uh, to give us some audio content on the podcast. Always uh, always appreciate that sort of stuff. And I suppose the next one's going to be the Recopper build-up next June <laughs> that we've got next. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> mate, but uh, whether this was the start or the end, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been beautiful. So that is the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast done and dusted for 2019. Big thanks once again to everybody who's contributed to the show and uh, everyone that's listened as well. If you really want to relive the knockout stages, you can go back and download and listen back through all of the previous podcasts on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, who are our host, and of course, Spotify and all good other podcasting outlets as well. If you want to get any tips and thoughts on next year's Libertadores, remember to email us willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow all of us from the podcast on Twitter. David Windsor's at David T. Windsor. I'm O underscore J underscore Wilson. Joel Richards is at Joel underscore Richards. And Peter Coates is at Golazo. Argentino. Use the hashtag Libertadores pod to send us any questions via Twitter. We'll try and get answers to you. And uh, hopefully we'll be back for more podcasting in 2020. Big thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed.